you are listening to Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering time, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for how great and wonderful you are. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us today. Lord, we are grateful for the gospel. Uh, we're grateful for your church. Uh, Father, we, uh, we believe what we just sang, that you are an awesome God. And so, Father, I, I pray that even as we look at your word this morning, Lord, that we would be reminded that you are awesome. Father, that you are good, that you are great. Lord, I pray that as we worship, as we study your word, that we would do so as a response to the fact that you are great and you are good and you are glorious. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, good morning. It is good to see you today. Uh, and I sound a little bit different this morning. Uh, things look a little bit different in here. Uh, I hope that the screens behind me are big enough uh, for you to see. Um, but uh, it is just, it's, a, it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, we've been joking here. Uh, absolutely. Uh, our staff has been joking that we've got to stop saying exciting because we say exciting a lot and eventually exciting doesn't become exciting anymore. But I don't know any other way uh, to, uh, to describe um, what the Lord is doing here uh, and what the Lord is doing among us. Uh, and so it is exciting and I'm grateful uh, for what he's doing. I hope that you're excited uh, and I hope that you are able to see uh, all that the Lord is doing. What I'm excited about it, it, is it's not just simply that we've... Exciting, yes. I, I gotta buy a thesaurus, I guess. Um, uh, uh, what is so thrilling about what the Lord is doing is that it's, it's not just that we've got some new carpet and new chairs and some new screens. Um, it's not just that the lobby is coming together, but it's the fact that we are seeing people take their next step towards Jesus every week. Uh, it's the fact that we're, we're seeing people uh, become alive to the gospel uh, every week. And so uh, I hope that you're excited about that. Um, and I hope that we would never presume that that is just normal and regular but that we would continue to pray that the Lord would continue to be active and bless uh, his church. I I don't know if you've seen what's happening um, on some college campuses kind of uh, around the the East Coast. Um, But my, my hope, my prayer, even this morning, I was praying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing there, but I want you to do something great here. Right? I, 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 want, uh, I want you to do something great here. And so I hope that you're praying that as well. Uh, well, look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're gonna be this morning. Uh, we started this just kind of a quick series last week called Back to Basics, uh, where we're coming back and we're exploring what, what are the basics of following Jesus. And so last week uh, we started with uh, the gospel right? You can't follow Jesus if you don't know the gospel. Well, uh, today we're going to look at community. Uh, we're going to look at this idea of community. Uh, there was the spring of 1940. Uh, 325,000 allied troops uh, had uh, been cornered in the small coastal city of Dunkirk, France uh, by Hitler's panzer divisions. 
Uh, now, this was a problem uh, because though they were on the coast, the, the Royal Navy, the British Royal Navy, they only had the capacity to rescue around 17,000 troops which meant for another around 320,000 allied soldiers, unless the miraculous happened, they would be left to deal with the brutality of Hitler. And then what happened was the miraculous did in fact happen over the next nine days from May 27th to June 4th, Operation Dynamo commenced. Operation Dynamo was the mobilization of 900 civilian watercrafts, from merchant marine ships to sailboats to pleasure crafts to whatever it may be. The British government said, we have need and we need drivers and we need you to go across and to rescue our soldiers. And for every boat that they found, they found the owner. And for the boats that they couldn't find the owner with, they just took them over. They commandeered them and they said, we need this ship. We need this boat. And over those nine days, those 900 civilian vessels rescued 328,226 allied soldiers. This was really uh, the turning point for the war. This was the turning point uh, in many historians' minds that at this point, something changed. In fact, uh, just a couple days later, uh, Winston Churchill would give one of his most famous speeches where he said, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight in the cities, we'll fight on the towns, but there will be no retreat, there will be no surrender. Now, whenever I think about that, I can't help but think that that Operation Dynamo, that that is a great picture of the kingdom. You have this ragtag band of followers who have been captured by the love of Jesus Christ. And because we've been captured by the love of Jesus Christ, we are propelled to serve and to love others. See, here's the reality. Every one of us in this room will have at least one, but probably more Dunkirk moments. We'll have that moment where we feel trapped, we feel cornered, and we need our brothers and our sisters to come and find us. We need our brothers and our sisters uh, to come and remind us of the gospel, uh, to come and to encourage us, to, to come and to love us. And so as we think about community this morning, I, I don't want us to have a tame view of what it means to live in the community of faith. A couple weeks ago, I was driving down the road. I was headed to what I think might be the closest thing to manna that we have this side of heaven, chicken salad chick. And I don't think it's funny, all right? I think it's delicious. And I couldn't help but notice that there were, there were some apartments being built on the way, and there was a sign on these apartments that said, uh, building better uh, lives, building better community, something along those lines. What that tells me is that the world out there and us in here, we recognize our need for community. The problem is, is that we look for community in all of the wrong places. The problem is that we look for community in things and in places and in ways that cannot deliver the promise that it makes. And so this morning, we're going to talk about community, but we're not going to talk about community until the end. 
really what we're going to see is we're going to see how does the gospel of Jesus affect our commitment to and our thoughts about what community actually must be. And so as we look here at Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see this truth that because of what Jesus has done, we have been brought to God and to one another. Because of what Jesus has done, we've been brought to God and we have been brought to one another. So look with me here at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect, precious, and inspired and inerrant word. Here in verse 19, the Spirit says to us this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that is true. Lord, thank you that we can trust what you say. Father, just as we can trust what you can say, what you do say, Father, we want to trust you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to trust you more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we look here at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we see this. We see that Jesus gives us great confidence. Jesus gives us great confidence. In fact, this is really, in many ways, what the entire book of Hebrews is about. One of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is this confidence that Jesus gives us. And this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, this is one of the most encouraging, one of the most confidence-producing passages in the entire letter. Now, if we were to talk about, all right, well, what is the main point of Hebrews? The main point of Hebrews isn't just that we can have confidence. The main point of Hebrews could be summed up in three words. Jesus is better. That's what the the author is writing, that Jesus is better. And you might say, well, Jesus is better than what? And here's the thing, Jesus is better than everything, right? That's that's what the author is driving the point home. And he's writing to a group of Hebrews. He's writing to a group of Jewish believers to remind them that Jesus really is better. In fact, this book is interesting. This letter is interesting. It's interesting for a couple reasons. One, we don't know who wrote it, right? Some say Paul, some say Apollos, some say Luke. Uh, Ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit, but we don't know who the Holy Spirit used to write this letter. Uh, But what's also interesting about this letter is it ends, the author ends by calling this a word of exhortation. Now, to translate that, what that means, a word of exhortation is, this is a sermon. In fact, this is the most complete sermon that we have in the New Testament. What we have is we have the author taking passages and themes from the Old Testament, explaining what they mean, and then showing how they point us to Jesus. Showing how uh, this theme or this passage or this pattern shows, proves that Jesus is better. And so as we look here, he's 
He's writing to show us that Jesus is better and he's, he's pushing us towards that because Jesus is better, because the gospel is true, here is what you need to know. Here is how you need to live. So look, look at verse 19. He starts with that word, therefore. So what this is, this is a signal to us that we have a, a new section of the letter beginning. And over the next few verses, from verse 19 down to verse 21, what the author is going to do here is he's going to summarize an argument that he has been making since the beginning of chapter 7. So from the beginning of chapter 7 all the way to chapter 10 in verse 18, he's been building this case, building this, uh, this argument that Jesus' work is far superior to anyone else or anything else, and that because Jesus' work is so superior, we can have great confidence. And so this argument, he's going to summarize that argument, it really has two parts. First, that Jesus is our final sacrifice, and then second, that he is our great high priest. So here in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, it says that we have confidence to enter the holy places. We've already said that confidence is one of the dominant themes that runs through the book of Hebrews. We have this confidence to enter the holy places. Now, what are these holy places? Uh, Old Testament believers would have said, that, well, this is the holy of holies, right? Uh, this is the tabernacle. But what the author of Hebrews has been spending his time making the point is that the tabernacle was really just a picture and it was actually a picture pointing us to Jesus because Jesus was the true and the better tabernacle who he didn't come to contain God's presence in one place. He came to make God's presence known. Right? He came to dwell among his people. Uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, there's a, a paraphrase that said that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus has come to do. So this holy place is here that the author is speaking about. This is where God resides. This is the, the heavenly holy places. And he says that we now have confidence to draw near, that we can approach our God. And how do we chiefly approach him today? we approach him in prayer, right? That we can have confidence that we can go before the Father and we can pray trusting that our God hears us, trusting that our God answers us. Here's the thing, God never ignores you, right? He never ignores you. There are times where my kids will ask me a question. They'll ask, well, can we do this or can we do that? And I just pretend like I don't hear them, right? Because that's easier than saying no, that's easier. God never does that. Right? He, he never ignores us. He, he always answers. And so we can have confidence to approach him. Now, where does this confidence come from? This confidence doesn't come from the fact that we have been really good Christians today, right? That, that I, can, I can boldly approach the throne because I read my Bible and I prayed and I did this. That is not where the confidence comes from. Look at verse 20. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So this confidence, it comes from the blood of Jesus, that, that Christ has opened the curtain, says first by a new way, that's the new covenant that he has inaugurated with his blood. And it's a living way because Jesus shed his blood. He died to accomplish this. He, he died for that confidence. But here's the great thing about Jesus. He didn't stay dead. 
And so our faith is in the living God, right? Our faith, this is one of the things that separates us, uh, separates Christianity from every other religion. The last recorded words of Buddha on his deathbed were strive without ceasing. The last recorded words of Jesus before his death, it is finished right? It is done. We don't strive without ceasing, hoping that God will hear us, hoping that God will accept us, hoping that God will bring us in. No, because Jesus finished it on the cross, we can approach with confidence, right? We can come near to him. And it says here that, that he opened for us through the curtain. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, if you're familiar with the New Testament, the Old Testament, your mind goes to that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. And what the Bible tells us is that it was torn uh, at the cross, right? That, that it was ripped from top to bottom. But the author of Hebrews, he says here that this curtain is talking about Jesus's flesh. That this curtain is talking about that Jesus opened this way by dying for us. Here's the thing about about New Testament faith, New Testament religion, New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is bloody Christianity. New Testament faith, our faith is a bloody faith. And there have been moves throughout the centuries to try to soften a stance on the blood. We don't have to talk about the blood of Jesus so much, but here's the thing. If we lose the blood of Jesus, we lose the gospel. Right? That's how we have been saved. That's, that's what has made us right with God. We should not shy away from the fact that we have a bloody religion. We should celebrate the fact that we have a bloody religion. And because our religion is bloody and it's the blood of Christ, what that means is it's not my blood and it's not your blood. That the penalty that our sin deserves, that your sin deserves, that my sin deserves, it has been paid for, and it has been paid for, not with my blood or with your blood, but with the blood of Christ, with the blood of Jesus, which is good news for us. This is why for the last nine years, whenever I, I put my kids to bed, I sing the same two songs every time I do it. So multiple times a week, uh, I sing the same two songs. The second song I sing, for whatever reason, has always been Take Me Out to the Ball Game. <laughs> and that's just the, the one song I, uh, I feel confident in. Uh, but the second song that I sing, when my kids hear it, they immediately say, that's daddy's song. That's the song that daddy sings. And I sing this song to them for a reason because I want them to know that there is a fountain filled with blood. Right, I, I, I sing to them, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. See, if we, we lose the fact that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, then we no longer have any kind of confidence. The, the reason that we can approach God in prayer is because Jesus died. He didn't stay dead, he, he resurrected. The, the reason that we can have confidence to come before him isn't because of who we are or because of what we've done. No, those things really should inspire fear in us. We can come before a holy God because that same holy God has died in our place. We can come before a holy God because Jesus has torn the curtain by his death. Now, the second part of this argument, it's summarized here in verse 21. It 
since we have, we, can, we have confidence because we have a great high priest over the house of God. So you understand that, that Jesus, he wasn't just the sacrifice. He's also the priest. Jesus wasn't just the sacrifice that was offered. Jesus was the one making the sacrifice. And so the one who opened the curtain for us is there with us. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, it means this. It means that even right now, Jesus is standing before the Father, advocating and interceding for you. And he's not advocating and interceding for you by saying, Lord, be with the believers at Central. He's not advocating by saying, Lord, be with the Christians in America. No, he's advocating for you by saying, Father, I died for Ethan. Father, I died for Mike. I, I, I died for her. Father, she belongs to me. He's advocating and he's, he's interceding for us. God, I died for that sin. I, I died for that problem. I, I died for that brokenness. And because Jesus died for that, we can now have forgiveness. We can have fullness. We can have hope. We can, we can repent and believe the gospel and we can recover and we can pursue God's good and holy and right design for us. Now, what I love about this passage is that the writer, he, he reminds us of the gospel. And then he says, well, because of what Jesus has done, you do this, but you need to understand the way this is laid out, the way this is structured. So in the, the New Testament, really actually it's in the Old Testament as well, that imperatives always follow indicatives. So, so another way to say that is that what we do always flows from a truth and that truth is who God is. So what this means is that the gospel comes before we do anything else. So we don't obey so that we will be accepted. We obey because we have already been accepted, right? So, so religion says, if you do this, God will love you. But the gospel says that God loves you and because God loves you, love him, right? Because God loves you, live like this. And so the, the author here, he, he gives us, we, we see this in the Old Testament as well. So if you think about the Ten Commandments, the, the Ten Commandments don't start with thou shalt not. The Ten Commandments start with, I'm a good God who redeemed you from Israel or from Egypt, right? I'm a good God who redeemed you from slavery. And because I redeemed you from slavery, live like this. Here, he, he doesn't say that if you'll do this, then Jesus will love you. He says, because Jesus has already loved you because Jesus has already been that sacrifice and because you're, he, he is your great high priest, we, first we draw near. Verse 22, we see this. Uh, back in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a, a call to worship. This is the first of three exhortations, the first of three imperatives, the, the first of three urgings. And the author, he says, because Jesus has made a way for us to come to the Father, then what that means is we should come. Now, the, the three exhortations that we see here, they're all written in the present tense. 
So what that means is that this isn't a let us draw near and then go about our business. This is a keep drawing near. Right, so we draw near once and then we draw near again and we draw near again and we draw near again. We keep coming, we keep drawing near and notice the, the posture that we, we draw near with. A, a true heart means we, we come with sincerity and loyalty. We come with full assurance means that, that we can come before the Father. We can draw near to him joyfully and confidently, joyfully and boldly. Then the end of verse 22, he he tells us that you can draw near with your hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, that evil conscience, that's an interesting phrase. What he's talking about there is the fact uh, that we are sinners and our sin has marked our conscience. And so what that means is that one is the way uh, Paul puts it in another place that uh, our consciences have been seared, but also... When we draw near to God, oftentimes what the enemy wants to do, his number one weapon is to accuse the brothers. Right, that's what the enemy is. He is an accuser. So he says, here, our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now this is, this is a nod back to Exodus 24, 8, where Israel is sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice to confirm the covenant. See, what he's saying here is he's saying, just as Israel was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice to confirm the covenant, you who have come to Christ by faith, your conscience has been sprinkled clean to confirm that you belong to the Father, that you belong to Jesus. And this, this isn't something that we can do ourselves. See, on our own, left to ourselves, we are guilty and we have every reason to fear God's wrath. But because of Jesus, we've been washed clean and because of him, we have no reason to fear. Because of him, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because of the gospel, we're free to draw near. Get this, because of the gospel, we aren't just allowed to draw near to God, we are invited to draw near to God. You might say, well, even you don't, I've messed up this week. Join the club, right? I, you don't understand my sin. I don't understand your sin. But what I know is that if you've trusted Christ, then he died to save you, right? He died to forgive you. There is no sin. Once you're in Christ, there is no sin that disqualifies you from coming to God, from drawing near to him. Get this, if you have come to Christ, then you can draw near to the Father because God wants you there. He is not just tolerating you. He is inviting you. You aren't in the way because of Christ, you're the guest of honor. Right? Because of Christ, you and I have a seat at the table. Right, that, that's what Jesus has done. That's the confidence that Jesus gives us. So because of what Jesus has done, we draw near. And next, because of what Jesus has done, we hold fast. Here in verse 23, this is a, a call to a life of devotion. Look at verse 23 with me. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now this confession, this is a, it's a statement of allegiance. It's a profession of hope. As believers, our hope is in Jesus and in him is the only place that real hope is available. And one of the saddest things that I deal with as a pastor is seeing people look for hope in the wrong places. 
Right, sharing the gospel, and, and that's God offering hope to anyone who would believe. And they say, that sounds great, but this feels really good. That sounds great, but I really love him. I really love her. But see, the Bible offers us, Jesus offers us real hope, lasting hope. And notice where this hope comes from. The end of verse 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Notice that it's not hold fast to the confession, hold hold fast to this hope because you're faithful. No, it's hold fast to the confession because God is faithful. What this means is that we hold fast to the confession, but the only reason we can hold fast to the confession is because God is holding fast to us. Right, that he holds us fast. So we can have confident hope in God's promises because we can have great hope in God's character. Or we can have hope in his promises because we can trust his character. And too often when we think about hope, we think about hope as something theoretical or unreal. We talk about it like we're not really convinced that it will happen. So maybe we say things like, well, one can only hope. Or, or we say things like, Well, I hope this happens, but it's not looking good. That is not Christian hope. That is functional atheism, right? That is saying, you know what? I hope that happens, but I'm not sure that God can do it. I'm not sure that God cares. I'm not sure that that God is really there. But see, Christian hope is entirely different because Christian hope says that no matter what, I can trust in a God who is faithful. And now that's really easy when life is good, isn't it? I'll tell you this, as a pastor, it's really easy to have confident hope in God when the room is full, right? It's really easy to have confident hope in God when when things are going well. It's really easy to have confident hope in God whenever you get the good report about your kid's health. Or whenever you have the meeting with the teacher and they tell you, oh, well, little Johnny is just a joy and respectful and so smart and all of those things. Or it's really easy to have confident hope whenever work is going well and marriage is going well. But what about whenever your marriage falls apart? What about whenever you unexpectedly lose your job or when you get the bad news from the doctor or you get the bad news from your kid's teacher or you get the bad news from wherever it may be? See, Christian hope isn't built on our circumstances. Christian hope is built on our God. And so Christian hope says that my life might fall apart tomorrow. Everything that I love, I might lose tomorrow, but at the end of the day, God is still good and my eternity is still secure. Right? That I might lose it all But at the end of the day, at the end of the story, I still win because even if I lose it all now, I get Jesus then, right? I get heaven then, I get glory then. That's what Christian hope is. Christian hope is not, well, I hope, but I'm not not banking on it. I hope this works out, but I'm not really sure. Christian hope is, well, I hope and God is faithful, right? I hope and God is good. I hope and I can trust a good father who loves me and who cares for me. And so what this means is that even when I don't understand what he's doing, even when I don't understand what he's saying, even when I don't understand his plan, he is still good. This is why we say that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. That is his nature. 
Right? That is who he is. So because of what Jesus has done, we draw near and we hold fast. I hope you see that we're pulling those right from the text. And finally, because of what Jesus has done, we join a small group. And you might say, well, where does that come from, Ethan? Right? Uh, uh, that, that seems like you, uh, uh, you're doing a little you know, self-serving here. Um, and you're right, right? Uh, but I want to be, we want to be really clear about what God's word says. And, and I hope you'll see that as we, we work through this last one. So this final imperative, it turns from inward to outward, right? The, the let us draw near, let us hold fast. Those are attitudes. Those are, those are positions. Those are functions of the heart. But here in these last two verses, it turns from inward to outward. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's, here's what I want you to know, that your faith must be personal, but it can never be private. Warren Wearsby said, said this, he said, fellowship with God must never become selfish. This is a warning here against individualism. And if there's anything we know about America and Americans, it's that we are individuals, right? We, we cherish the individual. I used to always think it was funny growing up, the people who were so, so serious about protecting their individualism looked and acted just like all of the other people who wanted to protect their individualism, right? Because what we understand is that we are formed by a community. So we can say as much as we want, well, I'm an individual. I'm a, a captain of my own destiny. But at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, we're all part of a community. We're all being formed by a community. The question is, which community are you going to be formed by? What are you going to be discipled by? Are you going to be discipled by the world? Are you going to be discipled by Jesus? Uh, uh, are you going to be discipled by that out there? Or are you going to be discipled by him in his word? Now, verse 24, look here. It doesn't just tell us to go to church, right? Some of you are saying, oh, well, I know some people who need this, right? Uh, Ethan, I don't know why you're preaching on this. You need to preach to something else. We're talking about church attendance. Well, there's something so much more. Look, and let us, look at verse 24, and let us consider. Now, consider is more than just merely attending. It's literally a command to think carefully. So let us consider, let us think carefully about how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, we have a Christian responsibility to love others by thinking of ways to encourage them. We have a Christian responsibility to love our brothers and our sisters. Here's the thing. Love always takes intentionality. I don't accidentally show my wife that I love her. I don't, I don't drift in to showing my wife that I love her, right? We know that love takes intentionality, especially this last week. It was Valentine's Day, right? 
This is the time where our culture says, hey, you should buy flowers and Reese's hearts and cards and whatever it may be. Love always takes intentionality and that's what we're being called to here. Now, apparently some believers here in this Hebrew congregation that, that the author's writing to, apparently they, and this is a young movement, right? Remember that this is a, this Christianity thing, this is years old at this point. This is not uh, millennia or centuries. This is years old. Apparently some believers in this young movement, they're, they're already neglecting to meet together. Now there's, he doesn't tell us why, but there's some reasons it could be they were facing persecution, which we know was true. They were, they were facing discrimination because they were no longer identifying first as Jewish, but they were first identifying as belonging to Jesus. And then another reason is just apathy. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So they had stopped They'd started neglecting meeting together for some reason. And the, the same thing happens today, right? We neglect to meet together. We neglect to come to church on Sunday morning for any number of reasons. What statistics tell us now is that the person who defines themselves as a committed church member comes between one and two times a month, which is down 10 years ago, it was three times a month. And so what the trends tell us is that we have started neglecting this habit of meeting together. And maybe it's because we're busy, right? We are busy. I get it. You're busy. I'm busy. We are busy. Maybe we neglect to meet together because of legitimate reasons, the health or whatever it may be. And, and those are legitimate reasons, but maybe we meet together or we neglect to meet together because we just really don't think it's all that important. I spent five years as a student pastor. And I, I used to get surprised whenever parents would, would come to me after their kids had graduated high school. They'd moved away to college and they would come and they would want to know, Ethan, my, my son or my daughter, they, they don't want to go to church. We, we've helped them identify a church. They just, they just don't want to go to church. And more often than not, what happened was, is that parents had treated church as optional, but then they expected their kids to treat it as necessary once they were gone. But understand this, that, that your kids will never treat as primary what you treat as secondary. And you might not intend to treat it as secondary. You might not intend to treat it as optional. But if we're not careful, that's exactly the message that we send. Now, you, you might be saying, Ethan, that's not me. I, I'm here every Sunday. I'm, I'm here most Sundays. And praise the Lord. Uh, the, the most important thing that you can do for your, for your faith is to gather on the Lord's day with believers to hear his word and to sing his praise. And you might say, Ethan, are you sure that's the most important thing? That is the most important thing. History bears this out. Theology bears this out, that God as a, an ordinary means of grace has called us together as the church to worship together because as we worship together, that's one way that we encourage one another. So when you sing, you aren't just singing praises to the Lord, but we are confessing our hope to one another, right? We are reminding one another, hey, that's what we believe. 
That's what I believe. That's what you believe. That is where our hope is found. And so we should be committed to gathering together as the church on the Lord's day. However, this is not where God's vision for our commitment to the church stops. At the end of verse 29, he says, don't neglect, or 25, he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. We're to encourage one another. And when you take this with verse 24 to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, we, we see that there's this intentionality. We see that there's this seriousness. And so this is the question that, that I'm asking as I read this passage. Can you obey verses 24 and 25 if your relationship with God's people, with the church, is one hour a week on Sundays? See, the vision that the author of Hebrews is painting for us here is a vision of life together. It's a vision of community. If you, you want to see practically how this might have played out, you can look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 where the early church, they were meeting together day by day to study God's word. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread. They, they counted all things in common and they, they met needs as anyone had them, as, as any of them rose up. And so this encouragement here isn't just to attend church once on Sundays. The encouragement here is to live life together. Now, now come back with me. Let's just read verses 24 and 25 again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice where the emphasis is in these verses. It's not what we can get out of church, but it's what we can contribute, right? That, that we, to paraphrase the president, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. Or, or maybe to put it another way, ask not what other Christians can do for you, but what can you do for other Christians, right? How can you serve? How can you encourage? How can you stir up one another towards love and towards good works? See, Christian life, the Christian life, is a community project. It takes all of us. It takes the entire body together. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no such thing as, well, I love Jesus. I'm just not really serious about the church. When I hear that, here's what I think. You're not really serious about Jesus. Because Jesus died for the church, right? Jesus died for his church bride. And there's an urgency to all of this. At the uh, verse 25 ends that we should do this all the more as you see the day drawing near, more and more as you see the day drawing near. What is this day drawing near? What's the day of Christ? It, see, what we know is that what was happening is many of these believers that the author of Hebrews was writing to, that they were beginning to fall away. They were beginning to be choked out by the things of the world. If you, just look at verse 26. It's not on the screen, but we'll, we'll read it here. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So the writer of Hebrews, he makes a big jump here, right? 
He says, you should, you should live life together, right? You should commit, not neglect gathering together as the day draws near. And the reason is because when the day draws near, those who have continued in their sin, who have refused to believe the gospel, that their end is punishment. So gathering together as the church, gathering together with the church, gathering together in small groups where you can be known and you can be loved and you can be prayed for and you can be cared for and you can be encouraged, it serves two functions. First, it protects you. This is why no one buys one sheep and sends it into the wilderness, right? One sheep, a sheep alone in the wilderness is food for a wolf, right? It's food for an enemy. The, the believer who, who goes into the world alone is food for the enemy. Gathering together protects us. When you can be known and loved and cared for and seen more than just in a room like this, but, but living life together, one, it means that there are people who are going to know you who can pray for you and care for you. People who are going to ask how you are doing. People are going to ask, hey, how is your walk with Jesus? Hey, here's what I am learning. But also when you stop showing up, people are gonna notice and people are gonna call. Right? When you stop showing up, people are going to say, hey, I, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And it's not because they want to point the finger and say, they're not getting their badge this month. Right? No, it's, it's so they can say, hey, where is she? Where is he? What do we need to do? What do we not know? How can we love? How can we care for them? But gathering together as the church and in small groups, it also prepares us for what we will encounter. See, here's the thing. Corporate worship like this and life together in small groups is a taste of heaven. It's a taste of what believers will spend eternity doing. So if you don't, if you don't like other Christians... Right? You start working, right? You get used to them. But, but here's, here's what I want to make clear too, though. Here's what I want to make clear. Is that the church is not perfect. There, there are some of you in here. There are some of us in here today who have been hurt in real and deep and dark ways by people who took the name of Christ. There are some of you in here there are some of us in here who have been hurt in unspeakable ways by the church. And what I want you to know as, as a pastor of Central, you may have been hurt by Central. Here, here's what I want you to know. I'm sorry. I, I can't fix that. I, I can't make that hurt go away. I can't make that. For, for, some, of, for some of you, just being in this room is a big step. For some of you, that's just the step you need to take. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is just being here to worship. And over time, as the Lord heals, you'll, you'll connect in that group. But here's, here's just what I want, I want to remind you of, is that we, we don't make it such a big deal about gathering together and joining a group because Christians are perfect. Because let me tell you this, Christians are not perfect right? You will be hurt by believers. You, you will be hurt by people who claim the name of Christ. 
We are not a perfect church, but we serve a perfect Savior. And so don't, don't lose your faith because the church has let you down. Because remember, you, your faith was never in the church. Right? Your faith was in Jesus. And so we don't, we don't gather because Christians are great. We, we gather because Jesus is great. And we trust that while we may not be perfect yet, there is coming a day when we will see Jesus and we will be like Jesus. And so we wanna help you. I want to help you get connected. I want to help you take that next step. Maybe you're looking for a small group. Maybe, maybe you're saying, look, I'm gonna join a small group as soon as the Lord gives me the sign. Well, to quote Bill Ingvall, here's your sign, right? Like, like here, this is it. This is your sign to join a group. Maybe you've been watching online and maybe you've been saying, I'm gonna go to Central. I'm gonna go in person at some point. This is the sign, right? Come, it's an exciting time here at Central. Come and join with us. See what the Lord has done. But if, if that's you, if you, you need to join a group, we've got a slide we're gonna uh, throw on to the, uh, the screen here. And here's what I want you to do. Everyone just take your phone out and just scan that QR code. I want you to scan that QR code because I don't want anyone to feel like, well, if I hold my phone up, uh, then people are gonna know that I need to get into a group, right? We want everyone to get connected with a group. So, so scan that QR code. That's gonna take you to a form. You can fill that form out and all it asks is for uh, your name and your email address and some other things. If you'd like to host a small group in your home, I think there's a place that you can connect on that. Uh, but scan that and this week, fill that out. Fill it out before you leave. Right now, you have the pastor blessing to get on your phone and to fill that out. Fill that out. And this week, someone from our team will connect with you to help you get connected with a small group. But understand this, the vital, deep, intentional connection with the church is not just nice. It is not just optional. It is necessary for a vital and vibrant growing faith. And so, so scan that QR code, fill that thing out and let us help you get connected because that, man, that is nothing thrills my heart more uh, than someone who says, hey, I wanna take that next step. Now you might say, Ethan, I just need to talk more about this Jesus who is better, right? Ethan, I, I just need to talk a little bit more about what, uh, who is this Jesus who has done all of this, who, who, who has torn the curtain and who by his blood, we can now draw near and we can now hold fast to the confession. We can now stir one another up. Man, if that's you, I am so glad that you were here. I'm um, sure so maybe last week you were here and you, you heard us talk about the gospel and uh, you, maybe you didn't talk with anyone then, but you've come back this week because you need to talk with someone today. And I'm so glad that you have come. Uh, here in just a minute, I'm gonna pray and, and we're gonna sing. And at the end of uh, our service, there will be some folks down here uh, with lanyards on or as you leave, uh, you'll see people in those blue hello shirts. Just grab one of them and say, hey, I need to talk to someone. That, that's what they're here for. They, they have one job on Sundays and it's to be available for someone to say, I need to talk, right? Uh, and so they would love uh, to be able to either talk with you or to get you with, to connect you with uh, someone that uh, you need to talk with.
And we make a big deal about the gospel. We make a big deal about Jesus saving sinners here. And so we, I have been saved. I am a sinner who is in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. And the same grace and the same goodness and the same glory that I have encountered in Jesus, I want as many people as I can to encounter that. So if that's you, and we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to walk with you as you step towards Jesus. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would help us to be serious about the confidence that we have been given by Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to be serious in drawing near to you. Lord, that we would keep drawing near, that we would live a lifestyle of drawing near to you. Father, I pray that, that you would help us to keep holding fast to our confession of hope. And Father, that we would be reminded that we can hold fast to our confession of hope because you are holding fast to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be serious about considering how to stir up one another towards love and good works. Father, I pray for that brother or that sister who's in this room and they know that they need to be in a group, but for whatever reason, they've got the, the excuse, they've, they've got the reason why they can't right now. Maybe later, maybe, maybe once they get to this spot or once they get to this point in their life, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see their great need, our great need for Christ-centered community even now. And Father, I pray for a person who's here today who needs to trust you, who needs to lay their life at your feet. Lord, I pray that today would be the day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.